Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Daily Planet Productions podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and I'm here with my co-host and fellow esthete, Scott. That's right, Matt. We appreciate others' art, but we don't uh, don't really create any of our own. Mm-mm. Anyway, uh, this is the podcast where you and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of large donut purchases, surprisingly insightful old ladies, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, Arc 5 Shadow continues. We'll be discussing chapters 5.7 through 5.9. The battle lines are drawn, Matt. The Fallen War, which is what I'm calling it until it has another name. Uh, has begun in earnest, and Victoria and the Misfit Toys uh, execute on their plan to attempt to evacuate the innocents, contain the battle, and kind of stay to the outer edge. But of course, they find that the the battle kind of shifts to them, and they're swept up in the middle of it. And uh, despite despite their early success, I think Victoria still gets uh, struck by a case of case of melancholia, directed by Lars von Trier. That's right, Scott. It's a great movie. Yes, it was. Very depressing for some reason. Yeah, I wonder why a movie called Melancholia would be depressing, Matt. Can't, can't imagine why. Yes, yeah. as, as you said, these are these are mostly building up towards and then um, taking us into combat, and there is a lot of character stuff happening in the you know in the meantime. Um, so obviously, that's kind of what I always tend to be interested in. But of course, the uh, the cape fight stuff is also cool. Um, yeah. So so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one. We'll do we'll do our normal we've got worm thing, which is to say, hey, the cape fight, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the characters. Yeah, um, we we say that we do that, but we actually spend quite a bit of time talking about cape fights. I, I think. Yeah, we did. Yeah, because it's fun. It's yeah, fun. it is. Um, there is a, we're we're get, we're starting to get in these chapters. I think like I think you and I have been talking about which is going to be the end of this arc for three weeks now. Um, but <laughs> it really does feel like we're, we're reaching a climax of this arc here. So um, I think we're starting to get to a point where we see what the, what the arc five shadow arc is going to look like. And um, I'm, I'm excited to, to get to go back at the end of this whole thing and talk about the arc as a whole and talk about everything that happened and, and kind of the the central movements of this thing once we get to to view it from that 500 foot level. But for now, we get to deal with these fun chapters. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be right about where this arc ends ev- eventually, you know, <laughs> so. I mean, by by process of elimination, yeah. we have to be if, yeah. as long as we keep saying we think it's going to end. We'll we'll get there. Exactly. All right, uh, moving on to announcements. Uh, once again, the We've Got Ward fan art contest with the theme of the Misfit Toys. Uh, this contest ends next Wednesday, April 4th at midnight. So there's still time to submit your work. Please do that. We are looking forward to your submissions. Yeah, as always, dailyplanetfilms.com. Just go over there and you can find the uh, the, the uh, page with all the information yeah, yeah. yeah. and and we we've been putting it in the show notes here too so just click on that if you want um excited you have you have one more reminder from us next week is gonna be the last reminder it'll you'll be reminded the day the contest ends so um there's still time there's still time yeah go for it all right uh community spotlight where we discuss uh y'all's responses to the discussion question first of all the discussion question for this last week was what does victoria want um and we asked some great answers as usual so we're gonna gonna read a few 
So first of all, stuck in Reddit factory says that basically this poster relates Victoria's mantra to the idea of seeking mental help. Um, in other words, you, you do what's expected of you, then you practice self-care, and then you ask for help, i.e. seek therapy. And then they relate this to Victoria's wants, saying she wants to be a good person. She has morals. She wants to feel better. She wants to take care of her mental health. And she wants to grow, meaning to control her story. And um, yeah, did you? what did you think about this one, Scott? Yeah, it, it was it was that last point that, I mean, I think this was a great post overall, and I liked how they incorporated something they realized talking at one of the previous discussion questions into into how it, it works into this one. Um, but the one that jumped out at me at most is that that last idea that that part of Victoria's growth is is um, taking her story and taking control of her her own personal story, because this idea that that was stolen from her. She had four years or she was basically I think I think this uh stuck in Reddit factory puts it as her story ended that she was for all intents and purposes, the Victoria that was known, the glory girl of that time died. And this person is different now. It's, it's, it's she had a rebirth and I liked that, that they mentioned that her rebirth was not like a co- complete clean slate. And it went back to uh, the decision that Victoria makes to tell Amy, no, I, I don't want to forget all this stuff. I don't want you to remove all these memories and experiences from my mind. I want to keep this. And I think that does tie into what she wants um, in a very interesting way. And I, I think I think we haven't thought about that choice enough in general, that 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 when given the choice of going forward with a clean slate or, or retaining all this stuff, we haven't that that was a very, very important thing that Victoria did. Yeah, I I agree that 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 is really important and bears a lot more discussion. There's another poster later on who mentions that, so I think I'll hold off on my thoughts until we get there. Actually, yeah, okay. But uh, but I I I did like I loved the idea of tying um tying her mantra, tying that mantra we talked about a couple of weeks ago to her to not only her wants but to the idea of how a person becomes mentally well. Um, how they how they prioritize and organize their life to be a a healthier person overall. I like I like that that connection a lot. Yeah, yeah, that, that's very interesting. Um, next poster is Airlocks, and they argue that Victoria wants her old life back, indicated by how often she flashes back to to what happened before, uh, you know, b- before before Gold Morning, before her um, mutation. And her, her her entire identity is wrapped up in being a hero, so it's it's all she knows, and it's what she wants to go back to. Um, I think this is this is you know very true. There are other people who who said similar things, um, and the problem is that she thinks that just going back to her old life will fix her problems, and that is that does not appear to be the case. Yeah, and I think we're going to get into that in a lot of detail in this section. And I think actually that's one of the things that's cool about uh, it's it's happened a couple times for us, but this week's discuss, discussion question to begin with, we did not know what was going to happen in these chapters when we came up with this question, but there was still an opportunity for us to talk about Victoria's wants and and the things she wants to do and how we're seeing this this general sadness in her throughout these three chapters we're discussing this week and how obviously what she wants and 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 
what's healthy for her might be might be different things and, and that's being demonstrated there so i think it's cool that that people said this that yes this is this is what she wants she wants this opportunity to go back to kind of that um that hero identity be that that person um but it's not it's not quite that simple yeah and and i like that um this particular question i thought was fun because it's not exclusive like there's not a right answer really she she can yeah. want multiple things right so, so like this next poster for example like I agree with the previous one who said that she wants her whole life, essentially. But I also agree with this next person, KZIN42, who compares uh, Victoria's wants to Taylor's wants. Victoria wants an escape similar to Taylor. They're both running away from the helplessness and pain they were feeling. And they both join this group, um, you know, Undersiders with Taylor, Misfit Toys with Victoria, under some kind of pretense of something being temporary, you know, in, in different ways. But they both quickly find out that joining this group provides the kind of escape that they want, so they stick with it. I really love that parallel. Yeah, yeah, and and it is it is a little different. I mean, I th- I think broadly that is a very similar comparison. the 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 motivations behind those wants are obviously very too different for these two characters because they're very different people. But yeah, that is a a, a similar line of thinking that happened here. That. I'll just do this for now just to get me where I need to go just to help some people or, or, or help myself. And then well, I'll, I'll leave, I'll leave when I've gotten what I need out of her or, or, um, or I feel like I've helped people enough. And obviously that's not, that's not the way things are going. Yeah. I mean, it's equally interesting to talk about how different they are. Like for example, Taylor wants to escape from her life circumstances, but Victoria wants to escape from inside her own head more than anything. Yeah. 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 Next, uh, Nihil Supernim, unlike the above, Nihil uses this question as a way to contrast Taylor and Victoria, kind of like we were just talking about. Taylor was always wanting to do something. Victoria is always wanting to be someone. This is shown especially in how their costumes contrast and how Taylor's toolbox differs from Victoria's love of image and, and identity and in how they approach moral quandaries. Furthermore, um, Taylor was so laser focused on what needed to be done. She lost sight of what she was becoming. Uh, and then uh, Niall Superman further worries that Victoria will be so laser focused on who she wants to be that she'll lose sight of what she's doing. So it's a, a number of very interesting mirrors and, and, you know, diametric contrasts here that I think are really interesting. Yeah. I, I loved, I loved this answer a lot. I loved that, that difference between, uh, Taylor was Taylor was due. Victoria is B, and that that is very true. And they and they both they both kind of get there through the other ways. I mean, I think Victoria gets to the person she wants to be, the image she wants to be, by doing things. And and Taylor did things and and used image when she could. They both used these other things, but their primary focus, their their priority, were those seemingly contrasting uh, goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's that's true. And I love that. I love that last that last beat of that, that um, Taylor was so laser focused on what needed to be done. She lost sight of what she was becoming. So that the, the potential risk here, Victoria, is that she's so focused on what she wants to be that she's not paying enough attention to, you know, the, the day by day actions, the day by day choices and, and what those what she is doing. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's interesting to think about what that might actually look like, because. I have a hard time automatically coming up with some examples of what that might be, but but Victoria is capable of a certain degree of 
blindness to things she doesn't want to see. So I suppose, yeah, you, you can imagine it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's the, the Taylor part of this equation is definitely, um, simpler. I think it's a lot easier to, to see the goal instead of the, the, those choices. It's a lot easier to, to be looking towards the finish line and not paying attention to the things that are happening than it is to, to just be looking at, this is the person I want to be and not paying attention. But, but that's not to say that it's not, it's not, not a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. The next literal headcanon says, uh, I think what Victoria wants is a new complete life, a new complete role that doesn't include Amy. Ultimately, her goal is to get to a place where she doesn't even need to avoid thinking about Amy because Amy is completely irrelevant to who she is and all that scar tissue is healed over. Um, yet another one that I think is, is, probably true and correct um she she just yeah she wants to get over this um but but I, she she doesn't seem to want to forgive is the problem you know no. she yeah. sim- she t- simultaneously wants to not have this you know sinking feeling every time any one of a hundred different cues tr- trigger her um but yet she doesn't want to forgive amy and i have a feeling that you can't really have one without the other. Well, and it's, and it, it, we've talked about the idea of forgiveness before and, and what forgiveness is and who forgiveness is for. Um, but it, it, even if, even if you don't hold to the idea that she needs to forgive her, I, I think, I think what we see, especially in these chapters is she needs to come to terms with it to a certain extent. Like there's, there's this idea that she's plowing forward into this thing, um, trying to recapture her old Cape life to do these things because she wants, she wants to be in a place where that stuff, the, the things that happened to her, the trauma that happened to her, what Amy did to her is irrelevant. It doesn't matter to her. It doesn't hurt her anymore. She wants that, but she wants, she kind of wants that to happen like in the background. Like she just wants to, to focus so hard on this stuff that maybe one day she'll think about that other stuff and realize, Oh, huh, that doesn't hurt me as much. And I don't, I don't know if that's, a possibility. I don't know if it's it's possible to just kind of avoid looking at this stuff for so long that it it no longer has any power over you. Yeah, um, it's it's her fake it till you make it mentality, right, which right. I'm not sure if that's actually going to work for her. No, no, I, I I I don't know how much I personally buy into that methodology, and I think we're seeing that um, although she is she is making strides, she's taking steps. There are things that she's able to do in this arc um, that that she wasn't able to do in the beginning of the story. So, mm-hmm. so baby steps are being made, but I think the overall underlying problem is still absolutely there. Yeah. I feel like fake it till you make it as a technique is really good at building up kind of a new persona that can do things that you may not have been able to do in the first place. But usually the old persona is still kind of standing behind the new one. So it's a good way to learn how to like, be a better like manager or something where you're you're <laughs> you're building new like habitual responses or whatever but i don't think it fixes bad habitual responses yeah i think, that's I, I think how it works i think a therapist and and again i am not one <laughs> I, i've talked to them before but i am not one would say that that is one part of a multi-tiered strategy mm-hmm. towards dealing with with trauma and PTSD and bad things that have happened to you that yes you should you should strive to be the person you want to be but part of that is also dealing with 
actually confronting and dealing with. And by what I don't necessarily mean she needs to confront Amy literally. I just need she needs to confront the things that happened to her. Um, and, and that is part of of what she isn't able to do right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, Zikri and also Megafire say she she wants acceptance and family. The family she thought she had turned out to have cracks in it, which she can no longer ignore. A big part of Victoria's troubles is the fact that she knows that she can forgive Amy and Carol and pretty much everyone else. She just doesn't want to face what forgiving them means to her self-worth. She's basically a smart, compassionate, wounded animal who keeps tearing at her wounds in order to remind herself that she trusted the people who made them in the first place and to try to keep herself from wanting them back. Um, I think that's very poetic. And, it absolutely is, yeah. And and I, I think it's very accurate, too. Yeah, because we, we will see a few beats here, and we've seen it in the past, that Victoria very much has this this kind of underlying she she's she's very uncomfortable with herself she she doesn't like herself very much um she and and part of that is is i think what zikri is saying here that that the people she trusted did this to her and she partially blames herself for that she partially blames herself for for letting herself get in that situation mm-hmm. and that's that's very that's very common with people that have suffered the kind of abuse and assault that that she has that this this it's my fault i did this i was the one that put myself in this position um she clearly has anger and and blame for amy and and her mother as well but yeah i mean that's that's definitely part of it yeah um i don't have much more to add i think that i think that comment is definitely one that's worth reading and it i guess it it just <laughs> just so happens that it aligns with my thinking on these topics pretty well <laughs> all right um, all right, so moving on from the discussion question answers to the general community stuff, we got a, a great comment from Ask Not the Linguophile, who makes a comparison between Ashley's desire to have her outside reflect her inside and the trans experience, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, I really liked this comment. And this is the kind of thing I really like because it, it's not something that me with my limited perspective is going to kind of naturally pick up on. Um because this is not this is not something I've ever experienced. But as as this this commenter kind of laid it out, there was a certain amount of logic to it. This idea that throughout the history of of the trans experience, like I think they they had a couple situational quotes here where like a trans woman is saying, I wish I were a girl so that people would see me the way I see myself. And then their female friends responding is like, yeah, but like you'd have to deal with with all this hard stuff girls have to deal with. And then um some feminists of of the 60s would have argued think about the people that were born female and never got a choice about it it's it's saying you want to be this is disrespectful to our struggles and that's kind of something that that is that is echoed to Ashley here that she's saying look this is who i feel like on the inside this is who i feel like i am and i want my outside to reflect that and their responses are like hey this is who we are and it's really hard for us and you're disrespecting us by by saying you want that but what they're actually kind of doing is disrespecting how she feels what what she feels like she is and it's it this is kind of clouded by the fact that that we use words like monster which are really just labels to explain what these what these case 53s are they're like insulting labels um they are people they are just different people 
Yeah, um, and I think they're they may not be appreciating Ashley's specific issues because she may indeed be better off if she were to look more monstrous you know like because she's not a a normal human she's not even a normal parahuman she's a clone who is brainwashed to want to be that way so it's as about as close to being her nature as you can get right and i think that the natural tendency as a, a human reading this book is to look at ashley and be like no, we want we want you to be a good guy because we like this character. We find this character interesting. We want we want Ashley to be a hero. That's what we want for her. Um, but that's maybe maybe that's just not who she is. You know, maybe that's like like whether it was programmed or or inside her. This is this is the way she feels. This is what this is what everything inside her is telling her that she is. And it's not it's not fair to to try to force that on someone if they truly honestly feel that way inside. Yeah, well, you'd probably just put them in prison at that point. Well, but, okay. I mean, it raises well, I mean, some very interesting questions about agency, I think, because, like, I mean, you've got the kind of, you know, ridiculous thought experiment case of, like, if you, if you you know, if you had a choice between putting criminals in prison for 20 years or just giving them a pill that changes their fundamental nature and ensures they won't be criminals anymore, which of those is actually more ethical? Yeah, that's actually a fascinating thought. <laughs> Um, I mean, and that's kind of what what you're talking about. If you're like, well, you've got this this creature. It's not a not really human. It's it's like a creature that that was made in the image of a human, but then twisted. Are you fixing it by untwisting it, or are you make are you making something new? It, I mean, it's a very interesting area with no real right answers. I, I think. Right. Right. I, I mean, obviously, like no one wants. I I don't I don't want Ashley to like become a terrible inhumane like killing machine or anything like that's that's not that's not the outcome you want for someone like but we've already dealt with this this gray between hero and villain and this idea of of what what is like when if if being a quote-unquote villain is what she should be um, what does that mean as far as her actions is she going to become like is is what she wants to be this massive destroying monster or is it just a dark version of a thing that we don't fully understand? And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that yeah, because it, and this, this is, I think this is the, the beauty of this is how complicated this gets because yeah, I mean you, you can't, you can't tolerate a person that's if, if the person on the inside is guy who kills everyone, <laughs> if the person on the inside is, person who abuses children like that's not that's that's kind of something that's where we that's where we draw the line in society right yeah like when when the person you are on the inside is someone that wants to hurt other people to to steal agency from other people that's where we draw the line right um and and where does ashley fall on that and i don't know the answer yeah it makes me want to learn more about her because it seems to me that she vacillates between the two extremes and and you kind right. of want to see her human side win, um, yeah. I I just want to learn more about Ashley now. Yeah, but but thanks for that comment. Um, who is that again? Ask not the linguophile. Yeah, that was yeah. a great comment, and and I really appreciate these perspectives because uh, we we basically have to acknowledge that that even even as we're trying to sit here and analyze this stuff, we lack a lot of common perspectives in this world, and and we love when people share them. Like yeah, this. yeah, that's awesome. The final comment, uh, Isaac 
G1 points out something with Victoria's breastplate and Crystal that we didn't specifically draw attention to, but is worth mentioning. Crystal isn't aware of the wretch and therefore doesn't fundamentally understand why Vicky would even need such heavy armor. Um, yeah. yeah. So so basically, yeah, that's just an interesting little little observation. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, that that was one of the things we were kind of going through her costume as quickly as we could because we were running late and um, we didn't point out every little bit. But this was one that I think I think was good enough to get stated on the record on the podcast. So so people listening made sure they understood this, too, that, yes, like Crystal is like, no, why can't you have a more form fitting outfit? Like, why, why do you need something so heavy and and uh, bulky and intense? And it's because she doesn't realize that. Vicky can't just keep her shield up all the time now because the shield does other things. And so she needs stuff that could actually block blows or protect her in those moments where she doesn't have uh, her, her force field. Yeah. It kind of seemed, I don't know if this is accurate, but it kind of seemed in worm, like she had both her aura and her force field sort of on all the time. Right. Yeah. And, and it was this time in the institution that let her control her aura and it was her, it was it's her being weirded out by her force field that makes her keep that off so yeah, yeah. i mean why wouldn't you if if this thing was like if, if th- it was not this uncontrollable wretch why would you not just have that on uh, constantly right <laughs> just right. in case yeah exactly all right so that's the comments for this week so let's move on into the chapters scott all right all right 5.7 opens up and victoria in costume arrives in new haven a settlement near to the fallen settlement she notes the tension her presence creates, and she tries to ameliorate the effects by being friendly and humble. She even lets its teenager take her picture. This is, I think, a really great opening scene for the chapter and for our, just our three sections this week. Um, the story is about to move into into this action set piece where we're going to get there really quickly. And it's something that we've been clearly building to for a while now. But before we do it, we do something as as normal as as mundane as Victoria waiting in in line for coffee at a coffee shop. And we've mentioned this mix between the mundane and the superpowered a couple times before on the show. I think we saw it last week with the the Sveta and Weld domesticity. We saw it way back in the the Parahumans team uh, interview process in Arc 2. Um, and, and the contrast always really serves to make the moment stand out. And, and this moment stands out just like Victoria does in that cafe. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. And it also serves as like a friendly reminder of the cape, non-cape tensions that exist everywhere. It's been, we've been talking about them throughout the story, but I think it's been a little a little while since we've like really had our, our character on the ground amongst normal people a lot. Um, the fruit guy notwithstanding. Um, it, was, it was way back in arc one where she, they were really surrounded by normal people and that one guy took that sniper shot, right? So... It's been a while since we've been there, and so we're, we're now having her amongst these normal people and, and showing how they're reacting to her. Yeah, it's good to remind us of this because you can, you know, you kind of know from her own thoughts in this story and from what we recall of Worm that, you know, if this were, you know, Brockton Bay on Earth Bet, then everyone would be like, oh, it's Glory Girl. And, you know, she'd get yeah. positive attention. Everybody would be excited. Everybody would probably, like, want to tell everybody that it happened. And here it's almost like everyone's, you know, it's it's almost like you know th- this comparison may be appropriate considering what happens later but it's almost like somebody open carrying walks into the coffee shop and everyone just <laughs> sort of like shifts uncomfortably not quite sure how to react um yeah 
I think that's 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 pretty apt, um, <laughs> at least as a comparison for for what it would look like in our world. Um, yeah, and you're you're absolutely right that that this is r- reminding us of what how different the status quo is. Like we're about to have this big cape on cape battle, and we've seen these before. We've seen them in Worm, but the status quo between capes and non capes has never been what it is now before mm-hmm. so it's good that we established we, we reestablish this baseline before we move into that and it is uh, there's no there's no hey it's glory girl there's no obvious like there's there's like hushed picture taking i like the the barista that she walks up to asks her are there others in town she she doesn't even want to say the word capes mm-hmm. like she she just she literally others them mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's only it's only after victoria like like forces her by questioning like what she means that she says the word capes and then immediately switches back to speaking of them as non-specific as possible a lot of the ones who show up cause problems mm-hmm. so like they the they're they're othered they're like not referenced we 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 want to look away and pretend like they don't exist as much as possible so when they come strolling into our coffee shop it, it makes that rather difficult yeah, that, that's a fantastic observation. She she comes right up to the edge of saying, we don't like your kind here. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, even even the conversation with the guy wanting to take her picture is like a, a, a much more tense version of a pretty normal thing that even Victoria herself has gone through so many times before. People wanting to take a picture of her. And like the guy's like trying to do it incognito and his girlfriend's like really stressed out about it because... Almost as if like this cape's gonna snap any moment if you keep doing this, and that all builds this the tension of this really awkward moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought I thought that was that was a very inter- interesting interaction because you know again she's doing her best to project that image yet again of, of just like yeah this I, I'm I'm a hero I'm a good guy just like things used to be. Um, of course you can take my picture and I'm gonna even pose for it so it looks cool and. And she's projecting this image of of heroes as this like aspirational, cool thing, um, and almost trying to like reclaim that. Where in people's minds, it seems like, it seems like that's not even a thing anymore. In some cases, yeah, I I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um. All right, so we get this we get to this moment where the uh the guy who took her picture asks who are you and he says i'm figuring that out i said but i'm thinking i'll name myself after a star oh see we get we get some juicy information now matt um not only does this work on two levels right like she's both literally trying to figure herself out while also answering the question like i don't have a name yet um but but the the revelation about the star is something that I think we can kind of dig into here because we don't, we don't know what the name is yet. Um, but we do know a lot about stars and what star imagery in literature, in our world symbolize and mean. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think let's talk about this for a minute because they, the stars have a very like wide ways. Like they're, they're very different interpretations. You can have it. They, they can symbolize heaven. They can symbolize power, um, they are things that that for so long were symbols of of the eternal. The stars were never wavering; they were always up in the sky. 
Um, but we know now that that's not really true. <laughs> mm-hmm. They don't last forever. Um, we know that they are things that shine bright in the darkness. They bring light and life to the world. They're they're beautiful. But if you get too close to them, they burn you up. Yeah. Um, so like, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of really heavy symbolism that could go into this. Um, and we don't we don't know enough to to really conclude on on what Victoria is thinking about which one of these symbols she's specifically referring to but it is one of those things that could work for all of this yeah um i i think the connection to the arc titles is also appropriate here you know we've got flare is probably the most explicit but really all of the arc titles are related to the sun yeah. um and you know basically her there, there's i think someone else in a completely different thread kind of pointed out that her um her aura kind of but not her aura rather well she has an aura like a star has a has an aura right but also the wretch sort of if you were to squint at her uh would look a little bit like a, a sun with solar flares dancing off of it um oh yeah that's a good point so that's mm-hmm. a, that's kind of a cool cool bit of imagery there um you can make all kinds of of fun connections I, I agree it's it's a it's a neat it's a neat uh uh metaphor and i i can't wait to see what name she actually picks you got any guesses or are you afraid to say them because they might not come <laughs> true well i liked that so- someone in the reddit thread um put forth the name corona which is not actually the name of a star but i thought that was a great name um so she wanted to repeat that and not give that person credit but <laughs> Uh, I mean, you gave them credit by saying it was not me. Yeah. You so can, you didn't take credit. Yeah. So you just didn't give it. The kind of indirect credit where I just say you can look it up on Reddit. Yeah. Go do that. That's, people like that, right? Yeah. People, like that's what you can like. Yeah. You can pe- do that with art. Yeah. People appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. It was in a book. It was in some <laughs> book. Yeah. I don't remember the title or who wrote it. Yeah. Or sorry. where. Sorry, person. Yeah. It's okay. Um, um, yeah. yeah I, I like that name. I. My, I told you this, and this is like one of those things that where you're just thinking about like structurally what would be cool, and if if the arc of the story ends up being Victoria trying to find herself, I think it would be very fitting for the story to end on Victoria's revelation of her name. That mm-hmm. um, finally, at the end of the book, she's gotten to a place where she f- has figured out who she is, and she's confident enough to give to to define herself in that way. Yeah, as long as she doesn't pick the name of, say, some kind of goddess who drags the sun across the sky. Oh, yeah, that would be not great. Yeah, it, <laughs> it would parallel Worm really well, though. Okay. Yes, it it would. It actually would. So, yeah, it could be Phaethon. That's that's a man. That doesn't work. Anyway. What if she... Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, she flies to meet her old patrol block friends, including Jasper and Gilpatrick. And um, she gives them directions on on where to go to sort of get in place for the coming battle. Uh, And these directions are all relative to the giant cow. Yeah. um, So this is like a a small, pretty throwaway bitmap. But I thought we could take a look at it for a second here. Because just like um, the, the star symbology, I think cows are pretty important like symbols to mm-hmm. a lot of people. They are worshiped by some religions. The, the, uh, the idea of animal hus- husbandry was a big move for civilization. 
and and the cow was kind of one of the earliest domesticated animals. So this is this is a big this is a, an important symbol, um, and so it makes sense that that this would be something that that was important to people. Um, and it's interesting to see how our characters kind of react to this news. Like good old good old Jasper sees it in just merely practical terms, where he's just like that's a waste of resources. And Victoria, for her part, sees it as just like she sees it as a statement. She recognizes that this was someone making a statement, something that was important to them, but just doesn't seem interested at all in in diving into the symbology of it at all. To her, it's just like someone had to be first. What's what's your take on this? Um, I mean, my my first immediate take was that we're we're near the fallen, who were basically like these heretics, more or less. Mm-hmm. And anytime you have like a giant idol in the shape of a of a cow um my mind goes to religious references um but i'm not sure what it would be saying other than you know you could be saying like yeah we we're the fallen we (laughs) we do reject you know the standard interpretations of things and we're going to build our own giant wooden cow idol or or maybe someone (laughs) else built it and was saying hey you know this is my take on the fallen is that they're I don't know. I mean, it's I, I'm I am curious to see if we find out what the cow means. <laughs> yeah, I got it. It's very important. It's very important to my understanding of this world to know yeah. what the cow man was thinking. Maybe it's just like a fallen Trojan horse and there's just a bunch of fallen in there. Yeah, that's that's where mama is. <laughs> She's in the cow. Or it's a tinker cow. I don't know. Okay, let's move on from the cow. <laughs> um, so Jasper shows off something that he got that he's very excited about. He shows off his jester tattoo. And Victoria says, you actually did it. You like it? Yeah. Then that's what's important. So this is an adorable little moment where where lovable jester gets his stupid, stupid <laughs> tattoo. Um but if if we drill down into this a bit deeper, I think this is saying something because it's got the obvious, like, if it makes you happy, then that's all that matters bit, which is something we've seen. Something is is that's been like a, a, a message in literature for a long time. Right. Like the important part is that you like it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this is saying something about the the image that we project to the world. Jasper wanted to be call, called Jester. He wanted to be Jester. It was this cool, silly code name that every, that he really liked but everyone uh mocked him for it. nobody really took it seriously and of course they still mock him for it obviously that hasn't changed but but there's this moment in here where victoria asks him are they calling you jester like you wanted and his response is they have to don't they yeah they do <laughs> they have to don't they J- jester quite literally branded himself he he declared to the world this is who he was and and when you do that when you declare yourself to the world when you make yourself this thing then then that tends to be how people see you they have to don't they yeah and I i don't think it's a coincidence that that this moment happens right after victoria has donned her costume for the first time right after victoria just gave us a hint of what her future name could be um, these things happening here don't it's it's not it's not just coincidental that they were discussing this idea right around this time it, it it it's it's this idea that am I gonna be cliche 
that you are who you choose to be. <laughs> <laughs> Not if you're quoting something that's awesome, Scott. Okay, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe my first take on it was more literalist than what you're saying. Just, just to say, like, she, she had such a problem with him, you know, being jester before. But here she is playing dress up and thinking about taking on a fake name. So it's a little bit, you know, cape chauvinist of her to insist that he can't have a code name just because he wants a code name. Like, why, why, you know, why shouldn't everybody get to have their cape name? Who cares if they're yeah. actually a parahuman? Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it's, I, I'm actually more interested in your in your sort of parallel of um, the journey she's going on and, and kind of maybe even having realized a little bit that, you know, what matters is is that is that it works for you it doesn't matter what other people feel about it yeah and if it works for you uh, it, it people people will respond to it that way yeah. they have to don't they and her response is yes they do and and yeah that could be a moment of realization for her that that yeah they they do <laughs> they have to call him jester now yeah does, does she though I don't, I don't know if she does we'll see i uh, yeah, I'm not. I I didn't pay attention. I should have paid attention to that. If she ever, within her internal monologue and her internal narrative, calls him Jester and not Jasper, I don't know. I'll, I have to go back and yeah, check. Yeah, I don't think she did, but I'm not sure. Victoria, how dare you! I know. So Victoria then meets up with the team and meets Kenzie's mother, Irene. Irene has extremely good fashion shops. She gets like four paragraphs of description from Victoria, <laughs> and Victoria is clearly in awe of her. The woman is kind of a diva, though, according to Victoria. Yeah, uh, this is, of course, classic Victoria, right? Like the idea that she recognizes good fashion and she will call it out in a lot of detail. Um, And I kind of like that Irene here does the same thing to her. Like she walks up to her her costume and is like, I love this. Uh And like there's this real like in a better world, these two could just like sit down and just nerd out on fashion for a few hours. Of course, that's not. It's not the world they live in, but, but I, I love, I love this trait in Victoria. I think it's really great. I love that. Like, I think it's great. And just like, this is the type of person she is. And that's the type of thing that she values, but also that it fits into that thing we were talking about before that idea of image, that idea of who you, who you present yourself as is, is who you are to people. And that is important to her. And it all ties together in this nice little bow. And I, I love it so much. And I love when we're reminded of it. Yeah, it's interesting how that wasn't actually apparent at the beginning of the story. Like, it, it was apparent from fairly early on that she had this awareness of fashion that was distinct from other Wild Bill characters, and, and that that was going to be something that we were going to focus on. But only kind of recently have I started to get like, oh, I get it. Like, it's it. Fashion is sort of a metaphor for her fixation on appearances um, and, and controlling appearances and controlling how you are perceived, which yeah. is, yeah. Also just clothes are awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's a cool thing to think about. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, we do, we do get this, this weird moment with Kenzie's mom though, Matt, um, where they ask her if she wants a donut and she says, no, and Kenzie says, you mean, no, thank you. Her mother gave her a look. Manners, please, Kenzie said. We're with my friends. Don't embarrass me. So while Irene definitely does seem much more friendly and uh, 
human than Kenzie's father came off. Um, there is there is still a little bit uh, of an echo of kind of a skewed uh, parent child relationship here. Kenzie orders around both her parents in these scenes we've seen them in. And and I thought in this moment we could we now that we've seen her her mom, we could maybe revisit this ongoing oh Kenzie's dad must be an AI or robot or projection theory that that we briefly touched on back when we first met him. I'm wondering if 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 this uh introduction strengthens or weakens that theory or your opinion of it. Um what are what are your thoughts? I mean I definitely don't see any indication that she is an AI or anything like that. Yeah. Um yeah. if anything we we've seen that Kenzie is like always perfectly put together and here we see the mom being perfectly put together so yeah we we and don't her dad, yeah sorry go ahead i was just gonna say we don't need to we don't need to resort to powers to explain her being um conscious of her appearance if her mom is this hyper conscious of her appearance yeah and her dad while he didn't dress he didn't have the fashion sense um, it did say that he dressed sharply. Yeah. Um, like he 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 took time for it. So yeah, there is that. Um, also, there's so many things that we thought were weird back when we were dealing with her father that I think now makes sense now that we understand kind of who who Kenzie is and what she does. Like the idea that her her father didn't say a single thing in the entire car ride, um, kind of makes sense when you think about the idea that. Kenzie probably has a camera in the car and was definitely going to be listening in on everything that he said and that her dad probably is aware of that. So just like resigns himself to not yeah. say a word. Um, it, yeah. If there's anything about their scenes that sticks out to me, it's kind of like you said that she kind of bosses them around and, mm-hmm. and the most they'll do is like give her a look, but then still comply. Um, right. So, which isn't like a red flag because like, you know, if, like good parents will do that too if if they're trying to actually like go out of their way to make you seem cool in front of your friends then they might <laughs> give you a little bit of slack in terms of your behavior rather than cracking down on you in that moment yeah um, i'm just wondering if it means anything more than that i don't know um, i mean there could be this this undercurrent of i don't want to go so far as to say fear because i think that's really unfair to kenzie but we we have seen things that she's done and the, the extremes that she's unknowingly gone to. And maybe that's something that her parents have a lot of experience with. And so they are very careful around interactions with their daughter yeah. and they choose their words very carefully and they respond to any agitation on her part very cautiously. Yeah. Maybe more like walking on eggshells than fear right. necessarily. Like, right. Her, her dad's response apparently is just to be, to be like, if I say nothing, then I can't blow up in my face. So I'll just say right. nothing. Right. One of the things that did, that did catch my eye when I, when I was looking through this was this, the, the Kenzie slogan is basically how embarrassing. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I it, like that was something that I, when I was looking for similarities between these two people, um, that they said, she said to each of them equally, like, don't embarrass me, um, was literally word for word what she said to each of her parents. It's what she said to her dad. It's what literally she says here to her mom. And it got me thinking of how Kenzie uses the word embarrassing in inappropriate times. Like, remember when we first learned about how like Kenzie doctored pictures of someone that made people think that 
there was something inappropriate going on between an, an adult and a child. And Kenzie's response to that was how embarrassing. And it's just like, she uses this word and it doesn't quite mean, um, what, what she seems to think it means. Yeah. Or, or she's just trying to almost downplay and process it in her own way. But yeah, I think that that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. So, so Victoria moves Kenzie's box out of the van again. And when she does this, we get kind of another look at the wretch. And I think this is very cool that we get this in this moment because it's very organic. We're, we're, you know, it, it makes sense that we're getting this peek into a little bit more detail of how the wretch works. But it's convenient that it does. I mean, it's convenient that we get it here because we're about to have a fight where she uses the wretch in a way she hasn't yet. Um, so what she says is, or what she thinks to herself is, as far as I could understand it, I was effectively wearing clothing with room for three of me, too many sleeves, too many pant legs. I was putting my hands through two sleeves into the matching gloves, and I had the benefit of the strength. If I was quick, I could do things before the other arms and legs started moving about around me, in front of me, behind me. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything that you just said. I think the writing here really shines. And I'd be lying if there weren't times especially in the heat of some of the previous battles where i had kind of trouble visualizing what the wretch looks like or what the wretch is doing um but 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 um for some reason the idea of an oversized sweater oversized pants with multiple armholes and she's really just her arms are really just going through two of the many armholes and her legs are really just going through two of the many leg holes for some reason that imagery really grabbed me and made clear so much so much more of this stuff yeah yeah and it just makes it easier to visualize like when she does stuff like standing in front of people to try to throw the wretch out you know kind of around herself you can almost imagine it billowing out like clothing yeah yeah stuff like that it's 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 great imagery yeah. i think that that the the multi-armed sweater yeah was just a perfect a perfect symbol for me yeah it, it borrows on your existing intuitions like you understand how clothes work <laughs> so right. so you just you just leverage that so you don't need to try to understand how an interdimensional alien projects a force field around a person's body you yeah just say oh yeah. it's a giant coat with too many arms okay fine. it's a giant giant multi-armed coat yep so before she leaves, Irene invites Victoria to come over for dinner some night. The other teammates react with abject horror. Uh, Kenzie reacts with typical Kenzie-ish joy. And while she's having her little uh, joy rant, Chris appears to be evolving into Kenzie's minder because he starts feeding her and getting her to focus. Yeah, just shoves a donut in her mouth. Yeah. I, I love... I love all this, Matt. I love this so much. The the logic behind Victoria saying yes makes sense in this moment. Um, she's like it's like I'm here to smoke out issues in this group, and, and so this is a chance to do that. And look, Kenzie and her mom are like on the same page for the first time ever. So th- this will be fine. Um, the rest of the misfits' look of horrified shock is just perfect, and how the text accentuates it through the words. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this Tristan, Sveta, and Chris were very different people. And all of them faced me with expressions of alarm and horror. We contrast them first to make their similarity all the more impactful. It's it's so it's so smart. Yeah. Um, I Kenzie like then starts immediately planning their entire night and 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 like 
we automatically connect that excitement and this this planning and this going beyond to everything we've learned about her before and how potentially terrifying that can be. And then, of course, Chris, who who takes it upon himself to deal with this situation. Um, and and the, th- the reason why this is so good is because it's one event reflected through the lens of every single one of our characters. And because we've taken time to understand that, we don't really have to explain why their reaction is this way we just get it because we know them yeah um yeah with one exception what's that and that's chris yeah that's and and chris is chris is the one we we know the least out of all these people and and the interesting thing to me and i think the complicated thing to me around chris is we still don't get how his emotional kind of internal programming stuff works enough to to really know if Chris is stepping up in this moment and this represents a, a, a character change. It represents growth, represents him slipping into a new role, or maybe this is just a reflection of whatever emotion he had last channeled. And, and it's that emotion that's putting him in a state of mind that is going to be that person. So this makes me wonder if determining who Chris is and what his arc in the story is going to end up be will end up being challenging just just because of the nature of his power. Yeah, there's interesting moments even in this chapter where Kinsey and him seem to be getting along almost unusually well. Now, he's still doing his thing where he kind of needles her and, and does silly things like turns down the volume on her projection. Yeah. Um, and and but But like you do have to wonder if if the fact that sometimes they appear not to get along and sometimes they appear to get along is like you said, exactly just a factor of, okay, what form was he using most recently? Yeah. I suspect we'll find out. Yeah. I mean, I think that the way to solve this impairment problem is to just eventually dive into kind of how all this stuff works in more detail. And then, and then you really get to start to see the differentiation between behavior brought on by emotion powers versus actual learned uh, growth and character change. Yeah. Right. All right. So the next scene, we skip ahead a bit and they're watching the hollow point villains riding into the fallen settlement on their Mad Max convoy, followed by four giant dogs, including bastard who Rachel is riding. They also keep an eye on advanced guard um, who didn't want to meet with them. Um, but they don't look in on the Fallen because they know that the Mathers clan tends to make people who peek in on them go insane. <laughs> good. Good call. Yeah. Um, I, 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 this is, this is great. Like we, we kind of, we kind of jump forward and we're moving right into the battle and we see like literal people on dog back charging into battle. And it's, it's kind of crazy because like, I'm so used to seeing the undersiders riding into battle and being like, oh, fuck, yeah, it's our guys. (laughs) And we're literally on the outside looking in on that now. Like, we're we're not part of that. We're not with them. We're observing them through a TV. Um, And it's it's such a different kind of emotion because, like, they're not the bad guys here, but they're not the good guys either. And. I just I it, you don't know how to feel about them in this moment. Yeah, and also like I have, for whatever reason, for a variety of reasons, have like terrible foreboding about what could happen in this in this arc and what could happen in this battle. So you kind of feel like you're watching them ride into this terrible trap, and it's it's yeah. it's not like a yay feeling. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 
All right, so um, so here we have uh, Victoria has a short conversation with Byron uh, because you know Byron's going to be participating in the battle uh, where necessary. Byron is still exceedingly skeptical of the team idea. He he actually says something along the lines of the best way to help innocence is to have never had this team in the first place. Yeah, but here I am, <laughs> which it's kind of like okay. Yeah, and this is this is interesting because like basically that's acknowledgement that he he recognizes that what they're doing here is helpful in some way. And and he also has this superhuman ability to just go with the flow, right? Yeah. Um we pointed that out when we first met him. And this this got me wondering though like at, at what point if if the misfit toys cross the line, if someone ends up dead um either on the team or because of someone on the team, is that going to be the point where Byron has to step back from this thing? And is Byron the type that if he steps back from this thing, that he's going to make life very difficult for Tristan, who's kind of their de facto leader? And and what could that mean? And what, what could that do? Like, this group is like edge of the knife, man. Yeah, this this scene made me really kind of visualize like, okay, what happens if Byron just suddenly says like, all right, you've crossed the line and, and now I'm out. Like, I, I, you know, then certain, you know, precautions that he put into place might have to come into play. Yeah. Um, and there would be some conflict. So now oh, yeah. the wardens arrive and we, we see we meet again Narwhal and Vista finally. <gasps> Yay. Vista has updated her costume, uh, enjoying being older, apparently. And when she greets uh, Victoria... She refers to Rachel as Rachel, which harkens back to their interaction with Rachel at the end of Worm. Yeah, that's a that's a really great catch. And I think it does. We do draw like specific contrast within the, the writing structure here because she lists them as Tattletale, Rachel, Foil. So we have two cape names kind of sandwich and sandwiched between those is Rachel as Rachel. Um, and we have to go back pretty far ways. But to remember that 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 Foil Flechette had interactions with Vista, right? Like, like Flechette, like went to Vista to attempt to like help her through some of the shit she was going through after, uh, after Leviathan. So, I mean, both these characters probably know what Foyle's real name is, but neither of them say, or she doesn't say it here. Right. Uh, it, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point. They, they're, they're just kind of letting that lie. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we, when we were in the, um, we did get we did get a glory girl interlude, but her interlude we didn't get one in the Sentinel arc, if I recall correctly. Like, yeah. even though she was hanging out with them and she actually, I believe even even was fighting with them um, when they fought uh, the Travelers. She, yeah, she didn't get her own interlude. So she was on the verge of she was like checking them out yeah. to see because that's when when Clockbacher goes to her mm-hmm. to ask her to go to Amy for help with his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was yeah she was hanging out with them, but no, we didn't get to see her from her point of view. Yeah, so we don't know exactly what she does and doesn't know, but yeah, I mean you're, you're right, she was there for all that. So yeah, but Rachel is the only one she uses her real name for, and then there's there's definitely some sort of of relationship there kind of reinforced by that epilogue. Yeah. Right. Which is, which is something else we kind of subtly reinforce about that epilogue though is, is in her new costume. We point out that she's wearing a scarf over her shoulders that looks very similar to miss militia's costume. And, and 
we take that combined with that we know that she was with Miss Melissa during that whole racial interaction. It seems like we're we're setting up that those two have a pretty strong relationship now mm-hmm. that they I don't I, we don't know if it's mother daughter kind of like surrogate parent or some way or 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 what it is. But I look forward to that relationship being explored more more. We've kind of laid the grounds for that here. And uh, we're, we're, we're going to see more of these two, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. So Vista uses her power to hasten their trip to the edge of the fallen encampment. Uh, Kenzie doesn't enjoy what this does to her cameras. Yeah, I, it, we're, we're subtly, Matt, kind of like poking and prodding at the limits of Kenzie's power and, and her cameras. First, we did it with Imp. Now we're doing it with Vista. We, we were seeing how this this power that the misfit toys rely on pretty intensely that kenzie's ability to scope out the the place has limitations and 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 we're we're subtly reinforcing that uh as she encounters different capes yeah it it seems almost like it may be you know it's obviously powerful because it can do crazy things in terms of what it can capture and what and how much it can record and being invisible and so forth but also it seems a bit fragile especially when it comes in contact with other powers so I, I do wonder if we're setting up some kind of catastrophic failure uh, that, that actually leads to consequences by hitting these beats of her cameras not working. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Okay. So the toys move into the forest and prepare for conflict. They get the lay of the land from Kenzie, and then suddenly vehicles move past them through the woods, and as the villains of Hollow Point meet the fallen, Victoria is startled to hear gunfire coming from both sides. Yeah, and I think out of everything we expected to hear or see from this fight, I don't think either of us would have listed gunfire. And this is something we're going to get into in a lot more detail in the, the later chapter, the, the what what guns mean. But but regardless, we, we get the idea at the end of this chapter very convincingly that this is different than we thought it was going to be. Yeah, right. I mean, we, we were expecting there to be an escalation of violence, but right from the get-go... Um, we have this understanding that the whole the whole situation is going to be different now. Yeah. So we open 5.8, and Victoria is now thinking about guns. She's thinking about the game, the cops and robbers game, as Tattletail called it long ago. She remembers for us the self-policing attitude of the Cape community on Bet, and she thinks secret identities were to be left alone, families weren't to be touched, the day-to-day of the city and civilian lives weren't allowed to be disrupted. No killing, no guns. And then she goes on to think about how even if capes use lethal weapons, it's the intent behind them that matters. And using guns in this fashion communicates clear intent to kill. Yeah, I want to talk about this for a bit, Matt. um, Because I do think it's really important. And probably something we should have touched on back in Worm a little more. Um, And that's the idea of guns in this fantasy superhero type setting um and 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 what what they can mean and i think worm ward parahumans is not the first story that that treats guns as a a wholly different type of violence from like your day-to-day uh super-powered ones The, the thing that jumps to my head as it as it always will is buffy the vampire slayer which which kind of firmly states that guns have no place in this ongoing battle between good and evil um except that one time that buffy used a a rocket launcher to to blow up a demon. Look, it wasn't a perfect show, but my point still stands. Um, unsurprisingly, though, I, I think I think this book and, and this world handles 
these weapons about as good as uh, any kind of fiction that I've seen. And it, and it all centers on that, that cops and robbers, that, that game that exists in this world, or as Victoria, I think astutely puts it, um, an abstract self-moderating force that capes have to lean on pretty heavily because the laws never caught up with their existence, which is, is basically a distillation of, of the, the whole thing, right? Yeah. Like it's this, it's this, it's this, this much better, much more realistic way of, of saying cops and robbers. Right. Um, She's describing a norm like we were talking about last right. week. Right. Yeah. Right. And as, and as we get in here, I think it's really important to, to define what we're talking about when we talk about guns here. I, I don't think wild bow. I do not think this text is making a definitive statement that says guns are bad. I, I don't think that's what it's saying because we've seen our heroes use gun. I mean, Miss Militia's power is to summon guns. Mm-hmm. Tinkers in this world use guns all the time. They use tinker guns. It, it isn't, it isn't about the guns. It's, it's about, uh, as this chapter actually says itself, this is about what the guns represent. Um, they represent escalation. They represent, um, lethality. Yeah. And to me, they represent something else. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about sure. is this, this idea as guns, as unearned power. And you, you, you contrast the power behind a weapon to, to the power of a cape. A cape is, is well, gifted. We'll call it gifted. Mm-hmm. It's not really a gift, um, gifted their power through traumatic suffering, um, with some, with some cauldron related, uh, exceptions right. of course, but we'll, we'll get to those. Um, they have a life that's filled with danger. Um, they have a, a trauma at the root of this power and their lives are hard. They're really hard. And, and even, even cauldron capes, um, either the, the power comes with, with a certain amount of responsibility, either, either directly to cauldron as you've, you've basically written, signed your life away in order to do this thing. Um, but also just, just general, being a cape in general, whether you're cauldron or cauldron made or not, comes with a certain amount of responsibility. This, this, that you are the the last line against the S class threats. You are the one that is supposed to protect people. Um, you are you are going to be fighting for your life. That's just your life. A gun, a gun is mundane. A gun is a tool of death with one and only purpose. It is not an earned power but a taken one. A gun can't hold back. You can't really decrease a gun's power. And as this chapter indicates, once you start firing it, your your intent is clear. There's no pretense here. There's no confusion here. This weapon is for killing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's all really, really interesting. Um I would like to kind of elaborate on this idea that like for the capes, they're strongly encouraged to kind of declare themselves as being either a, a hero who is someone who is now obligated basically to go out of their way to be a positive force or a villain. And then if they are a villain, they have to play by the rules and, and the rules involve, you know, non-lethal cops and robbers stuff. Otherwise they are taken down with, you know, utmost force and, you know, you can buy a gun and that doesn't, you know, it's not like you buy a gun and then you're, and then it's like, all right, uh, now that you have a gun, you are a hero, uh, unless you're going to be a villain, in which case I guess we have to send you to jail because there's no way you're going to be a villain with a gun in in some kind of non-lethal way. Um, so, so yeah, basically I'm just kind of making more explicit, I suppose, this comparison you made between 
capes and and guns where where any anybody can have a gun and they're extremely dangerous and and they don't confer any kind of responsibility with them um yeah that, that's yeah because because a gun can be tossed away mm-hmm. right like you can you can buy a gun you can steal a gun you can have a gun and then you can toss it away a cape's powers are something they have to live with its power its its lethality is something they have to live with day to day so there is implicit responsibility behind that um whereas the gun can be temporary it can go Mm -hmm. it it can move and then there is less responsibility implied with that that tool yeah and if you don't like it you can get rid of it yeah yeah and this this is actually this sent me down a, a little a wormhole matt Back Good. to worm. I didn't even write that, but I just came up with it. Um, this, this, I, I want to go back to worm for a bit here. I don't want to spend too much time on this because this is something I wish we had talked about a little more because guns are used in that story and guns are used in some very specific ways in that story. Our main character at one point in the story starts using a gun and the first time Taylor takes a life. In this story, Taylor explicitly, directly takes a life. It is with a gun. It's not with her powers. It's not her bugs. It is a gun. A mundane tool of the non-powered is is in her hand and she uses it. And this is a moment where Taylor crossed a line. And I'm not I don't want to argue about the morality of killing Coil again. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about she she picked up this gun and started carrying this gun and she carries the gun with her basically through the rest of the story and this is this is taylor destroying any pretense that the game exists in her mind anymore um she has crossed the line she has left the idea of cops and robbers behind perhaps she never really was a part of it but at least she was was playing within it for the time being but she starts carrying around this gun that's different that's important. The fact that 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 death was done via gun was important when you look at what guns mean in this world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It definitely casts a different light on it in retrospect when you when you think about it in this particular way. She she wasn't thinking about it at, at that way at the time. Um, it was just that at the time, I think the gun was the most economical way to kill a person. Yeah, well, that's that's Taylor, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, and... Taylor kills with a gun again, mm-hmm. Matt. She she kills Aster with a gun, and again, I I don't want to relitigate that. Let's everyone has their different opinions over over what I think was supposed to be a very morally gray decision one way or the other. But I I don't want to get into that line of thinking. I'm just showing that there are two specific instances when our main character in the story used a weapon that that means something very specific in this world. But there's one more, Matt. There's uh-huh. one more instance when a gun was used around Taylor. Oh, yeah? What was that, Scott? Yeah. And that's the end of the story when the gun was used on Taylor. Uh-huh. Um, and two shots. Yeah. Two shots fired at Taylor. Two shots, huh? Not, not, two not shot. one, not three. Two shots to match the two shots that she fired to take two other people's lives. And... I don't know if that was intentional. I didn't pick up on it while you're reading worm, but this whole line of thinking got me back to that. And I think it's so poetic and wonderful and fascinating. The more you explore the idea of guns in this world. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
and and and, and yes, of course, we're aware that she killed some one day old slaughterhouse nine clones too. But yes, those, yes, she she shot many people with a gun. I know she did. She killed clones with a gun. I'm I'm speaking very specific to these two deaths and how they reflect on yeah. both Taylor and guns and how that yeah. is reflected back on her at the end of the. Story. And these are important, important, you know. And she and she kills other people with bugs too. These are just. Right. These are, I think, highlighted by the story as being the ones that affect her emotionally, probably more than any other ones. So they are they are unique, and yeah. they are and 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 one of the reasons why they feel so unique is because it's with that mundane weapon, with that gun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's enough. Worm. <laughs> let's let's go back to the future. All right. Um. So as, as they're hiding there in the woods and, and bullets are kind of starting to go into the trees around them, uh, reflecting her agitation, the wretch begins to claw and tear at the trees around her. Uh, that's such a great imagery, right? Yeah. I yeah. love it. And she, she, she actually turns it off and takes cover because it's so disconcerting to her. Capricorn creates some walls to serve as cover. A biker rapidly approaches and zips right by Victoria. The biker dresses with a bat theme, and he seems to have a sensory power of some kind. He detects her and then shoots at her, tagging and taking down her force field. The two battle, and despite his gun, Victoria's flight gives her the upper hand. She knocks him down and demolishes his bike easily. She disarms him methodically and then carries him up to a treetop and breaks off the lower branches so he can't climb down. Poor bat biker. (laughs) Rough day. Yeah. So as she moves away from him, Victoria feels the first note of a melancholy that persists for the rest of the chapters. And and specifically, she's, she's thinking, there was a time when using my powers made me feel powerful. Having super strength had made me feel strong. Having an aura that instilled awe had made me feel awesome. I didn't feel that same rush now. I felt melancholy. Yeah, and I think we're going to get into this, but I think it would probably be the best way to really dive into this as we hit these beats later on. Um, it is absolutely good to point out that this is the first instance of that, this melancholia that she's going to feel throughout these chapters. Um, and, and I like this because like when we were doing this before, we had like a complete arcs storyline to kind of thematically like it, this was an arc. It had the structure of an arc of a story and we could easily link a thematic message between all those things. But because now we're just doing like whatever random chapters happen to be done by the time we were recording, um, there's much less of a clear thematic through line. So I really I really jump on on things like this when they when they present themselves, because we can kind of link these three chapters together, or at least these two last chapters together with this thematic through line. Yeah, right. Because we we see this beat in all of them. Yeah. So more bikers approach and Victoria thinks over a bit more of the um, sociology of how the bikers as a group are sort of part of the fallen de facto because people don't really want to let them into normal society due to how they behaved before gold morning. Yeah, this is, I think this is really great. Um, and it's, it's, it's Victoria's like first moment in these chapters of starting to like really dive into the complicated nature of the fallen as an organization and those organizations that it surrounds itself with. These, these bikers aren't really fallen, right? Or, or they weren't, but by treating them the way they did, they kind of forced them to have nowhere else to turn. And, and, and that, that cyclical idea of someone does something. So you ostracize them. So that, that pushes them further out to the edges, which pushes them further towards people that live on those edges and the, the dangerous and violent edge of society. And, 
and it's it's complicated and that's something we get throughout these these first few chapters that the the regular um non-leadership non really bad people within the fallen organization have this complicated relationship with with the world yeah she basically thinks like yeah the amnesty technically applies but people didn't really want to forgive them and then it and, and that's actually a sentiment that's reflected later um by some of the fallen civilians where they're like they're like yeah we, we never get a fair shake you, you you guys you guys never let us you know you guys never forget about the past and and right and it's true it's like yeah what what is the amnesty the amnesty isn't magic it, it, it it's, yeah. it's not a reset button that just fixes everything it's the, there's still the same groups of people with the same animosities everyone's just agreed not to like immediately go to violence over them yeah um, well the the court of public opinion and the court of law are two very different things yeah. and amnesty in one definitely not amnesty in the other right so uh, some more bikers are approaching. One of the approaching bikers is a breaker with a weird optical illusion theme, difficult to perceive and therefore difficult to fight. She tries to get uh, Victoria tries to get the drop on them, but the breaker spots her and, and attacks. Again, Victoria manages to hold her own against them and destroys their weapons. One of them, a changer who can sort of swap out their body parts with other body parts, poses a challenge, and she ends up in a situation where the wretch wounds him. He heals from the wound, but then kind of turns into a blob, or like a, like a wretch, Matt. Mm-hmm, perhaps, perhaps. I think I think the context of this moment is really important to to kind of what it represents, um, because Victoria and this guy are, are playing tug of war with a gun, basically, yeah. um, and they're pulling back and forth. And in order to to win, she kind of grabs at one of the shackles that seem to hold him together, and summons the strength of the wretch to break the shackle hoping that that it will cause her to win this tug of war. Um, And the second she does it, as she does it, uh, the wretch lashes out too. And it's described in the book as the wretch did something and the entire body jerked cloth ripping. So we we quickly learn that the wretch basically like just took a chunk out of this guy's stomach. Um, And and the guy heals up right away. No harm, no foul. Hooray. You didn't kill people with the wretch. Good job. Um, and and but but then it immediately starts the person immediately starts changing now what literally happens here as we see is just that the shackles were keeping him together keeping him as one person um the shackle broke so he transforms into this blob thing but image wise the wretch attacks this thing takes a chunk out of him and immediately he starts transforming into what reminds her very much of what she looked like when she was uh, a, a terrible, terrible blob thing. Yeah. Now, again, the, what, what is not happening is the wretch is not reaching out and like passing on the terrible blobness to this other person. That's not what's literally happening, happening. But these events happen so close together that you wouldn't be faulted if, as Victoria, you looked at this and said, my wretch bit this guy and he became one. Yeah. <laughs> and... And, and and in this moment, she feels that melancholy again. And that's not surprising. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it, it definitely, I think it's supposed to make your mind go there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's painful. Mm-hmm. So Victoria tries to intimidate the breaker and the remaining other biker. She insinuates that the wretch tearing away at their surroundings, uh, reflecting her agitation, is actually something like a shaker effect that she's causing 
Um, or, or more generally, perhaps it's more accurate to say that she just is exaggerating what she can do. Um, yeah. She even insinuates that Capricorn's power is her power when he starts creating his moats. She, she's being really clever here, I think. She is. Yeah, she's using her aura and perception to manipulate people. And it's it's really great. And I, I, I love that at the end of it, she even kind of quips a little bit, mm-hmm. like when when Capricorn unleashes his power and she's like, it's an eight. But it's not my eight. And like I said quietly, mostly to myself, like she's kind of internally quipping. Yeah, um, I, I liked that a lot. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's I, I mean, she's she's very tactical and clever and methodical and thinks things through mm-hmm. throughout throughout what's happened up to this point and, and going forward. And not only does it speak to who her character is, but it's also very delightful to read. Um, yes, it's much more fun than, you know, someone with the same powers, but who wasn't thoughtful and just wanted to smash like it, it, there's a certain there's a certain joy to reading the like m- minutia of thinking through a tactical problem. Um, and I'm really, I'm really happy that that's here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that it, I would be lying if I said that wasn't a concern when I first learned it was Victoria because she has I mean, she's she's a brute like she's ha- that's kind of her power and. You, you wouldn't be surprised to see her like tactically act like that, but that's not really who she is, especially because her power comes off as so indestructible and powerful. But as we know, it's actually really, really limiting and, and she has to use it tactically because it has some severe drawbacks. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of cool moments in this, in this, in these chapters where she'll just like crush someone, someone's, you know, motorcycle to smithereens. And then they just kind of like sit there, paralyzed with what is likely just like fear because from their perception she you know either with her fist or telekinetically smashed a a metal structure um but they don't realize that that's not like that they're misperceiving what her power actually is so it's very interesting reading yeah and you take that and and combine it with the fact that she has an aura that it can accentuate that that awe or that fear and you can use that to pretty devastating effect yeah yeah um i like this bit where the the blob guy that she just created more or less is writhing on the ground and she's thinking on a level i felt bad that i couldn't look straight at it and that i'd been hurt by others that had once been unable to look straight at me on another level i knew i i knew even i'd had a hard time looking straight at me when i'd been that way i still did I never really blamed anyone for abandoning me. Yes, but not for not looking. Um, uh, that's just devastating. Yeah, I, I like I like that she 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 uses this construction a lot actually, where she thinks on a level, at that dot on another level dot 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 you know, and basically she's expressing this idea that you can have multiple parallel reactions to the same thing that are. may even be in opposition to each other but that doesn't yeah mean you didn't have them like your brain is not a computer it it doesn't it doesn't check for consistency you can you can completely feel contradictory things at the same time and and she's she's actually pretty comfortable with managing it when that happens yeah and and i think it it requires such a a high level of self-awareness um, and it also kind of makes it really hard to call Victoria out on things on behavior. Right. Because like she's in her head, we see that she knows both of these things at the same time. It's like 
it's like she she's both saying I didn't blame anyone for not being able to look at me. But then in the sentence above, she's like, but I acknowledge that that, that did hurt me. Right. Like it's it, so it's like she she has such a level of self-awareness of how she operates that that she can recognize she's doing both these things simultaneously. Yeah, it's really awesome. I, I think and this is one of those things that makes her a great character. Yeah. And the, the self-loathing just kind of devastates me, though, mm-hmm. because like like I. I I knew I'd had a hard time looking straight at me when I'd bid that way. I still did. Like she still looks in the mirror and sees that person. That that is that is who she sees. That is what she sees. And it's so sad. Like it's like Victoria, no, you're you please be better. Yeah. That is sad. I that's interesting. I think that I didn't parse I still did that way until you said it that way and now I think you're right actually hmm have to think about that mm-hmm. okay so the breaker returns to her human form and conveys a message from mama uh, of course of course victoria doesn't know it's mama but um we do so she she's saying you don't need to hide at the fringes you're welcome to join in and you're expected they they'll embrace you with open arms she says she has hostages people you know and people who those people care about you can mess with the attackers if you get in the way of the fallen, people are going to lose body parts. So they have Aaron. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. And, uh, yeah. And probably her brother and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Her whole family. Yeah. Rain's family. So then it's difficult to say why exactly. Like, like, is it because she went too far in telling them things or what? But the woman then has a horrible freak out that involves being terrified of everything and then pulsing with black lines and just screaming. Um, Victoria then chokes her out to prevent her from damaging herself or from letting the thinker power damage her further. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was a little unsure about that as well. Exactly why mama Mathers decided that we're going to probably just, I mean, it literally just could have been a flex of her power. It's like, look what I can do. Mm -hmm. Be afraid of me. Um, and this is, this is awful. This is awful. Right. And we don't really know how permanent that's going to be so yeah we we don't we understand so little of how mama mother's power actually works um it's it's very possible that she was just showing her some scary shit here but the the black lines are what kind of has me confused yeah the part i'm not i don't really uh, an aspect of the power we haven't seen yeah yeah I, i was just gonna say i don't believe we've seen that yeah yeah all right so yeah So i wanted to use this matt yeah go ahead really quick as an opportunity to talk about something. Uh-huh. Um, and there, there was there was a Reddit thread I saw last week. And I'm not going to single anyone out. I don't want to single anyone out. This is a sentiment that I've seen from a lot of people. So do not feel singled out here, please, people. But there's there's a sentiment I see a lot of times when you see characters act certain ways. And you think up a way that would have been more logical for them to act. And I think doing that is okay. Doing that is okay. But extrapolating that out to therefore the character is poorly written is not okay. And, and the the thing that made me think up of this is there was some conversations about, Oh, Victoria should have a taser. Uh, Victoria should have uh have zip ties with her so she doesn't have to choke someone out to restrain them 
um, comments like this that led a poster to the conclusion that uh, that therefore the character was not written in a good way. And this this drives me crazy because (laughs) characters like a good character is a human being. A good character is constructed in a way to where they are a real person with real wants and needs and flaws and mistakes. And so if someone doesn't reach a conclusion that you did, that doesn't mean that the character is poorly written. That just means that the person might've just not thought of something. Yeah. Or, and, or the person is just not like munchkinning the game the way you are when right. you're reading it, which is really not the way you should be reading. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that gets, that gets kind of to the core of why I wanted to talk about this because I wanted to talk about how, how when you're when you're reading when you're watching when you're taking an art the way that i think is the best way to approach it um and and the way that i think is the best way to approach it is go into the piece of art assuming that the person's art you're watching or reading or or or, or taking in is a is a genius <laughs> just go, go in with that assumption um go in saying this person has constructed this thing and they're brilliant and they did a great job with it and that's not always true. Obviously there are, there are bad, there's, there's stuff that you don't like. There are movies that are bad that could be seen as technically bad. There are, are are writing problems and everything and mistakes and all that. But if you come in with the, the perspective that the person that is making this thing is very gifted and very smart, then you're not approaching the thing, looking down on it. You're not like looking above it from like a lofty perspective and trying to pick it apart and destroy it. You're instead looking from below it and, and trying to figure out how this thing was crafted. And I think that's such a, just a better state of mind to have when in taking art. Yeah. And I think you're also more likely to make interesting semiotic interpretations and thematic interpretations when you're, um, when you're acting as though those might actually exist in the text you know, rather yeah. than thinking like, oh, this is this is not this is not so great. And then you're not expecting to find anything more than the surface level. Whereas even that's the thing is. Authors can put stuff in that they didn't intentionally put in that's still there to be found. And you can yeah. get a lot out of that if you're looking yeah. for it. But but uh, yeah. And I think I, I, and I, I don't even think like everyone does this intentionally. I think there are people that very much set down to read a piece of work and break it in any way they can. There, there are people that, that try to do that. Yeah. But I think there are people that just do it accidentally because they're approaching this stuff from a different way. And I really, I really honestly do think guys, if you approach art from the perspective of how did this brilliant man do this? Um, you will, you will enjoy it more. I like that. It's a good idea. All right. So moving on from this interlude of discussing how to read. (laughs) uh, (laughs) How to read with Scott Daly. They move on into the settlement and we move into chapter 5.9. All right. So they first approach a house that has been badly damaged and offer to help evacuate the civilians within. There are some people trapped on the upper story. So we go from a chapter all about um, a skirmish with these fallen bikers, and then we enter the fallen settlement proper. And now Victoria is forced to actually interact with 
with these people, the the on the ground outskirts, non-leadership, oftentimes non-powered fallen. And uh they're they're complicated, Matt. Yeah. This is they're very complicated. This is extremely interesting to read and uh there's a lot to say here. Yeah. Yeah. The toys briefly consider whether Capricorn should remove the cover that he made on the way in or make it permanent because basically if he's going to be trying to shore up their building he either has to let it go or make it all permanent. And, and Victoria specifically asks him to remove the blocks across the roads because those are the ones that are going to cause a problem if he doesn't remove them. Oh, I love I love this mm-hmm. so much, Matt. It's it's such it's such a tiny little beat about exploring the differences between uh, immediately beneficial versus long term consequences. And I love that Victoria has the presence of mind, even in the middle of this fight, to know that it is not just about today. It is not just about today's war. It's about what happens tomorrow. What happens when people want to come back here? What happens when if Hollow Point needs to retreat? What the this long term kind of smart planning is so amazing to see. And Victoria's fucking hero matt like she like hollow point the hollow point people are who she is like what this whole team was created to to kind of go up against and stop and she still amongst that has a presence of mind to say hey if if they have to retreat and they get trapped in here like the fallen are going to do some really fucked up things to them and even though i want to stop them even though it is the goal of my organization to dismantle and destroy this organization I can't I can't let that happen to them. Yeah, it's it's really cool to see her pause, you know, pause, yeah. think this through. She's not rushed. She's she's actually I, I would argue successfully being the warrior monk here um as she as she kind of makes makes a a long-term strategic decision in the midst of having to make tactical decisions and and it seems like the right call to me. I mean, there could be some terrible catch that I'm not thinking of, but it's much better than just saying like, yeah, well, whatever, whatever. We need to save these people. You're getting distracted, right. Capricorn. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like it. And, and she reaches like a middle ground, right? Like she doesn't make him take them all down. Mm-hmm. Um, she leaves some of it up. But the parts that could, could do the most devastation to people, she makes him take down. Right. So she senses something off with the people up in the building. So she flies up cautiously to check it out. One of the men pulls a gun on her, and then Sveta sneaks around behind him and pulls the gun aside, and then Victoria crushes the floor, letting him fall to the ground and smashes wrists. Capricorn applies stone handcuffs to the guy. It's almost as if Victoria doesn't need to carry twist ties because she has teammates that can just make him out of rock. It's almost, yeah, I mean, I I guess, (laughs) you know, it's not poor writing. (laughs) Well, it wasn't poor writing regardless, but... It's also logical within the universe. Yes. Also, this is like their first big thing. Maybe she'll bring twist ties to her next big thing. Yeah. I mean, maybe she's realized, hey, having twist ties would be good to have. Yeah. I mean, Taylor kind of changed her loadout as the story went on. Yeah. It's not bad writing. Anyway. (laughs) So Victoria and Sveta share a victory high five and Victoria is able to appreciate this moment. Yeah. Bad guys stop. Good guys saved. Simple. Clean. Hooray. Yeah. He broke a guy's wrists. Yeah, well, it's a bad guy, probably. <laughs> um, 
So there is one thing I wanted to talk to you about as we as we go through this, because Victoria is talking to these families and one of the women in this family is helping her out. And then a man just kind of quietly puts his hand on her to stop her from talking. And we get this beat um, where Victoria clocks this and says, I hated that. I hadn't seen it often over the years, but it got under my skin when I did. From the time when I was young, my mom had drawn attention to those things after the fact. When we did some crisis point stuff, responding to domestic violence calls. Or when she introduced me to a police detective and his wife she knew. She'd remark on the dynamics between husband and wife, the power plays, and the signs that something else was going on. The intent was to make me aware and to ensure that I've avoided those same things when I got into a relationship. So that's uh, it's good on you, Carol, right? Right, Matt? Yeah. I wanted to get your interpretation of this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I see this as Carol, first of all, this is all part of her, like, grooming victoria into being the the perfect hero um mm-hmm. and also just some very like proactive diligent sort of stuff that that she's doing to protect her daughter and, and make sure that her daughter has every advantage going forward in life you know just like she says to, to to make to make her aware you know for her hero work but also to ensure that she'll avoid those things in her own personal life um i think it's pretty unambiguously good to have done right like like how how, how can yeah. it hurt to 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 draw to draw someone's attention to these these little signs that mean something worse is going on yeah and i mean i mean if victoria doesn't think back on it and find a way to twist it negative about carol that means it's pretty <laughs> unambiguous because if there was a way to twist this negative to to carol she'd probably do it yeah i mean um, yeah worth pointing out that she thinks of her mom without thinking some you know dark cloud over the thought right yeah yeah i i I, this is necessary though because i think what we're doing here is we're we're extrapolating out how complicated the fallen are and we we have to think back to victoria's general write-off at the beginning of the story of anyone who was ever involved in the fallen anyone who was ever involved in empire 88 there was this general idea that that second chances for these people no and what we're doing here now is we're learning and we're seeing victoria learn how complicated these things are how how nuanced and messy and terrible some of these parts of this organization organization are to other parts of it you have this woman who appears to be in this terrible domestic situation that she has absolutely no control over and 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 maybe we we need to learn a little more and not paint with such a a broad brush against all these people yeah absolutely and we see plenty of notes of that in this in this chapter specifically yeah so after bringing everyone down from the roof victoria asks the fallen civilians where they should head next to find people to extract victoria doubts their priorities and they tell her family first friends second fallen in faith third she said if this is what we're having to deal with here i don't want it I'll help you get some others I know out. And then Victoria thinks, right. It wasn't because it was right, but because of her specific priorities. Something to be careful of. Um, so we could talk about this for a while because doesn't Victoria's definition of right literally boil down to her own explicit hierarchy of priorities? Like, like, like Victoria, her sense of right and wrong is nothing more than her priorities, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there is, I think it is inter- interesting that 
to Victoria, this woman saying, I am going to help you because it's the right thing to do would comfort her more than her saying, I'm going to help you because on my list of priorities, my family and my friends come before the fallen and therefore um, I need to help you save them because those things come first. Yeah. So it, it is interesting that, that that's the conclusion she makes. And I think I think it is very true that Victoria has a rather rigid idea and definition of what right is, what wrong is. And hearing that someone doesn't explicitly think that the fallen are wrong, that that the, the what their beliefs are wrong is very concerning to her. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I also. I get what she's saying here, like what she's saying is mm-hmm. this, this woman's priorities are definitely just like me and mine first. And I don't really care about any abstract right higher moral concerns um but but i think that's kind of hiding the fact that that er, everyone's priorities are their own private matter usually um yeah i don't don't know maybe i'll be able to clarify this at some other point well i mean i i want to i want to at least give victoria some credit here because this mistrust of nancy's who will learn that's this, this woman's name, but Nancy's uh, priorities, her, this, this general concern and mistrust of it actually leads Victoria to uh, making a decision that ends up saving someone that maybe if she had just blindly kind of said, Oh, okay, you're with us. Um, yeah. she, she ends up helping the old woman that, that um, yeah. Nancy clearly has something against. So it, it, it is, it leads to a good thing, yeah. but there, there is there is this sense of how how everyone defines right and wrong is different and some person's right and wrong is just they've shifted their priorities differently than someone else's well, and we're going to see this contrasted here in a second too because we're going to come up against someone who is just as much of a believer as nancy is but just has that list of priorities that family friends fallen list organized just a bit differently yeah i mean these people are living in the post-apocalypse so you almost can't blame them for putting family and friends first uh, above above abstract moral right. concerns like like that's not a that's not necessarily a character flaw in this situation yeah yeah and i mean like nancy probably is not a very good person like if you get to the core of who she is and the things she believes she's probably not great but it just so happens that in this moment she's willing to do the right thing. Yeah. Right. I I did want to point out before we go on that, like as they approach the next house and kind of throughout the rest of this chapter, uh, at least until we get to the actual fighting part, we keep getting notes about how the sound of the battle is changing. Like we see here, the sound of the ongoing confrontation has changed. Things had moved closer. There's a clear like uh, time set here. Like we, we, we are racing against time. The battle is getting closer. We have to save as many of these people on the outskirts before it rolls over us, um, which kind of which kind of cranks up the the tension a little bit. Yeah, there's also been stuff happening in the background. Like at one point, we see something green come in from the distance and, and smash yeah. into the ground, and then later we see that the leadership house is destroyed and kind of are tempted to put the dots together. Yeah. So at the next house they go to, the people there reject their help. They don't want to be disloyal. Um, the, the, one of the women there is, is arguing, um, basically in favor of everyone leaving and, and arguing that they, that they are loyal 
And I just, I love this dialogue so much and, and just the characterization that's, that's pumped into, in, into the way that this person speaks. And I'm just going to read it just because I love it so much. I'm not going to fucking disappear on you, Enoch. I'm a believer. I've put up with Tony for fuck's sake from the end of the world to the hereafter. Four months I dragged him and two kids around until I found you all again. Why would I leave now? It's, uh, yeah. I just, I mean, it almost, it just speaks for itself. I just think it's fantastic characterization and it puts you in this person's head, puts you in their shoes. You, you, you feel for them, even though they're like someone who our protagonist is, is against basically. Uh, yeah. It's, and this, it's great. This, this whole idea of loyalty and like people like testing each other's loyalty by their behavior though, is so classic cultish, you know, mm-hmm. like cults, like, they they exist off of this ability to turn all their members against each other and have all their members constantly be spying on each other for the cult and and this is what this feels like just a a natural extension of that like she says i'm leaving with my kids he immediately challenges her loyalty to the the organization because of that yeah and it's just like that's classic cults yeah yeah so in the end they agree to let the small kids be evacuated uh, mainly because they're sort of getting in the way, uh, but they're going to keep the older kids to serve as soldiers. Yeah. Um, so it, it, this is this is what I was kind of hinting to before, and and I think the most interesting thing about this thing to me is Nancy is a person who says family, friends, fallen. Um, that that's my priority. Therefore, I'm going to get the kids. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to help these heroes, and then we're going to get to safety. Um, and the natural reaction to that as a person would be like, oh, you're, you're pretty good. Um, at least because of, because of that, that direct priority. And then we have Enoch over here who, um, has similar priorities, but just slightly different because he still lets some of the kids go, right? Like, like he recognizes that some of these kids need to go to safety. So you could say family's up there for him still, um, just fallen as on his list is just a, a little bit higher. So how different how different are these two people? How how different are they? Even though we kind of see one and immediately think, "Oh, you're a scumbag because you're going to keep these children," and we see the other and be like, "Oh, you're the good one because you're helping Victoria." Um, and this is and it, this is so complicated. The the nuance here, the difference between these characters and 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 the perceptions of them and who they actually are and and all this stuff is so so complicated. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, there's all sorts of directions I want to go in. Like you could say, like, well he's a man and it makes sense to me that men would be more likely to be like putting fallen higher in that ranking because they have more power within the fallen and it's more in right. their interest to keep the fallen going. Um, whereas the women are, are sort of treated like chattel and, and, and thus would be like, look, I'm, this is providing me with some safety and security, but ultimately the reason I'm here in the first place is to keep my family safe, so obviously my family is at the top of the list. Um, I think this is just how people react when you put them under crushing threat and, and pressure. And like, I don't even know if I want to go so far as to say like, is this person a good person? Is this person a bad person? It's like I would totally be one of these scummy people if you put me through their life experiences. I have no delusions about that. So. Mm-hmm. So like I don't I don't think that makes me a bad person I don't think that I don't think it even applies really I think it's more like 
like you said, it, it's complicated. There's not an answer here. It's it's just kind of yeah. it's something Victoria actually needs to come to understand about these people is like she is putting them in these boxes and they just don't really fit in boxes the way she wants them to. Yeah, well said. So meeting back up with the Misfit Toys, uh, Victoria and the other the other capes decide that Capricorn will wall off this house with his power in order to keep them from interfering. <laughs> so so he kind of hangs back and does that while she moves on. Um, they get further instructions on who to rescue, almost skipping over someone until Victoria asks specifically about that house. Uh, then they send off Nan with the kids and they ask her to call for self-reflection when she gets to the woods. I'm ashamed to admit that on my first read through, it did not occur to me that they were like passing on what form they wanted Chris to take on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's like really obvious. And I don't, I don't know how I missed it. And this is why I read this thing three times before we, we record the podcast. Yes. No, they they were just asking for those group of fallen to think about their choices. So just, just really, just really reflect on yourself and your choices. Yeah, that's yeah. It's important. And do that by screaming that word out really yeah, loud. Right. So then Victoria, while Capricorn is walling off the house, she heads off to the old Sims place. Old Sims. And Sims, if you'll recall, is the woman who chastised and generally scowled at the fallen kids as they made their way to school in Rain's first interlude. Yeah, and we read her as being like totally shitty back then, right? Yeah. Like we were like, oh, look at this old lady being mean to our boy Rain. Yeah. It's almost as if perspective really matters. Yeah, but but lot. but here we make her a little bit complicated mm-hmm. because, for example, she says stuff like "screws loose," all of them, the nonsense they spew, the criminal stuff. It's all madness. So, like, she's we got these two bits of information on on her now. Bit one is that she doesn't like the the sexes intermingling, and bit two is that she doesn't like violence or criminality. Yeah. Um, so, like, to me, and this is based on very little evidence, but to me, she seems like like a conservative Christian woman with probably fairly milquetoast, you know, conservative Christian values who just got caught up with the fallen and kind of had to avert her eyes to all the bad stuff. And now things have just gone so much farther than she ever wanted them to, but she's sort of done the Taylor thing of justifying it as she went along and now she's here. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think the next um, the next line of dialogue basically confirms that. Right. Um, Yeah, which is which is uh, there's right and there's wrong. He said you can do everything right moment by moment and still end up on the wrong side too beaten down to fight things anymore. Yeah, which is really, really powerful. In fact, I admit, like, for some reason, and I think I know why, but like when she said that, I, I kind of got choked up for a second. And it it came out of the blue. Actually, I, I was just like reading this action chapter, and then huh. and then she said that, and I like had to stop for a second and was like, "Interesting." That affected me really strongly. Um, and I think it's basically that it's 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 your your subconscious is thinking about these ti- these things already. Um, these are the kinds of things that that were were very uh, critical to Taylor's story too. So that's that's all in there too. Yeah. And uh and when she says this, she's she's giving this confession um and it it really hits you. Yeah, I mean, there's something I think inherently terrifying about this, right? Mm-hmm. That like you could think 
you could know the difference between right and wrong and you could be making decisions that appear to you moment to moment as the right ones. And still at the end of the day, you look and you find yourself, you're the baddies, you're the baddies. And, and, and at that point you're just too tired to do anything about it anymore. It's like, like you, you realize that you come to that realization and it's just like, I don't have any fight left in me. So this is just, this, I've, I've, this is what I am now. And that's, that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love that. Yeah, this this is basically a confession. She's she's confessing, confessing to Victoria. Victoria even realizes this. But Victoria's response is incredibly personal to herself, even though this person is confessing to her. Victoria is almost taking this as an accusation against her, too, because she says, I've been beaten down before. I'll find a way to keep fighting. Humans are resilient. We made it through gold morning. And her response is, again, probably both shifting from talking about herself to almost offering advice because she says it's very easy to lose sight of how beaten down you are. Don't let the little things slide. We have to be vigilant. And I, and this is I, this is fascinating to me, Matt, on like 20 different levels, because you have this woman who is is basically at this moment where maybe maybe this attack, maybe what's happening on was finally the thing that pushed her over the edge and, and, and made her realize that, that she was on the baddie's side once and for all. Um, and, and she's, she's having the self realization in the middle of Victoria coming to save her. But also this part of me that wonders at, as she shifts from confession to advice, did she look at Victoria and like, and like clock this clock Victoria as a person who needs this immediately too? Did she look at her and say like, Oh, this is a person that needs to, to realize that, um, you have to be vigilant. Yeah. Um, I think we were talking about this before how th- this idea of like one thing that we haven't got a lot of in in ward up to this point is external views of how Victoria comes off um because and this is definitely a, a wild though thing to do is to only very sparingly give us glimpses of of what a character actually is doing from the outside versus their mm-hmm. actual perception of of what they're doing and like Victoria from the inside seems very competent, cool, collected. She's she's being methodical here. She's doing what she needs to do. We don't actually know that she doesn't have like a terribly haunted look in her eyes or that she's yeah. not like standing still for for uncomfortable stretches as she processes things that impinge on her trauma. Like those could be happening and people could be getting it and 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 thinking like, "Man, I hope she's okay, um, mm-hmm. but we wouldn't perceive that necessarily unless we were told. And so stuff like this, I always want to read into because it's like, yeah, exactly like you said, is she, does she see, is Victoria like hunching where she stands <laughs> or, or something, you know, like, like um, what is causing her to say this? And it could very well just be that, yeah, this is this moment that this woman is in her life. And she's really just talking about herself and it just happens to apply to Victoria. Either one could be true. I, I like to think yeah. about it, though. Yeah, I, I think that's something regardless of whether this this moment is supposed to indicate that or not. I, I think that's something we should keep in mind as yeah. we go. That just like just like Taylor, we are we are pretty firmly locked in Victoria's perspective and we do not get to see what she looks like from others perspectives very often. Yeah, right. So Victoria reaches the last house in the line and then gets them moving as well, uh, relatively right. easily. Others in the house, in in other houses nearby, have seen 
this happening and start making their own way out. Um, so they've sort of succeeded in their little subquest of getting people out because they got a bunch of people out and then they started sort of an exodus of adjacent houses. And, and so, you know, they can feel good about that. Yeah. And they get 20 experience points per human. Yep. But then, then there's a cutscene, and, oh, no. um, now the, the fight has actually moved to where they are at the second house. The Capricorn has been barricading. Beast of Burden, Nailbiter, Sidepiece, Disjoint, and Damsel are fighting a fallen cape with an AoE lightning attack and, and another uh, with a power that I don't think we actually really see what her it's power like is. It's like some some weird hand thing, right? Like they're, It reminded me of Golem a little bit, like ha- like phantom hands oh. grab things, I think. Yeah. Was that that one? There's a lot of powers. Yeah, there's so, there's so much going on here. Um, yeah. So, so Then some of the fallen affiliated bikers show up to assist. And Nailbiter indiscriminately stabs and slashes at them. Uh, Victoria calls it anarchy, and I think that's that's fair. Like like, yeah. it's very difficult to summarize this battle without basically just reading it because it's it's very dense with with lots of powers and stuff. Um, so she she flies up and surveys as much of the battlefield as she can see, and yeah, it's pretty chaotic. Um, so she decides that their plan will be to take on the fallen and then the hollow point villains. Yeah, I love that that like this is basically three teams all fighting against each other. Um and the thing that was really interesting to me is we had this threat from Mama Mathers, right? That if you hurt Fallen, we're going to rip Aaron's arms off. Yeah. And we don't see anyone really consider that. I mean, I don't think that would ever actually have stopped Victoria from doing the right thing. She was always going to fight, but I don't remember seeing any moment where like, oh, are they going to hurt Aaron for real yeah How, who do I attack if I attack the fallen are they gonna hurt Aaron yeah yeah uh. yeah I don't know what to make of that exactly I mean if if anything she's keeping her eye on them on the mission um, yeah and not getting derailed by by something like that and um yeah um yeah I, I think we'll just have to see how things go there mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's a big dang old fight here uh <laughs> but this fight, I feel, has has a different tone than almost any prior f- fight in this world of the parahumans because, you know, we've got some notes of Victoria feeling that melancholy again as Byron's water spray reminds us, uh, reminds her, rather, of the wretch's existence. Um, people are trying to kill each other pretty pretty overtly. People are getting badly cut up and, and burned and, and crushed by motorcycles and stuff, so... Um, it's, it's not, you know, we've, we've had some pretty violent fights before. Um, but this just, this just feels different in, in a couple different ways. Yeah. I mean, I think the melancholy is a, a, a big part of that. I think this idea that I think it's in the way that it's similar to other Cape fights is why it feels different because like, this is, this is the second chance for the world. This is, we, we've moved beyond this we're gonna everything is gonna get better we're gonna be okay and and that we're just back to fighting again like this is just like the the inevitable depression of of a full-scale war like this does is tonally distinct um because like it's just it's just evidence that that maybe things aren't gonna get better Mm -hmm. yeah that's true too and and I think that like I think I guess it's time we should talk about this this melancholy that that Victoria's been feeling throughout this chapter now because I I think it's possible that in the next chapter or maybe the rest a few chapters down the arc we might get some more beats of this but 
this is as good a time as any to talk about it mm-hmm. because Victoria is is here doing the thing that she wanted to do. She got wanted to be on a cape team. She found this team of cape. She she helped them get together. She's helping them. She's coaching them. She's becoming part of the team. They are they are fighting against the bad guys. They are trying to help people. They are striking out against the wrong in this world. And she feels sad. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she has a moment or two of of like happiness where something goes well, like we have a moment of happiness, but it's kind of truncated with this 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 melancholy. And why is that? Why does she feel that way? And I mean, the answer to me is that because she's not she's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> because because like these are the things she wants. She says, I want to help people. I want to do these things. I, I want to w- embrace my Cape side again. I want to embrace this team, go forward, help people, help the innocent. And and that's great. Being the warrior monk, helping people, saving lives, being a hero, that's great. But it's not going to fix you. And 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 that's what that's what I think we're seeing here is the first hints that that just going down this line, just just swimming down this path like a shark is not is not going to fix your problems. Yes, it's good. Do it. But there's got to be there's got to be something else. There's got to be more that you have to do. Right. Like like some of the commenters this week pointed out, she she is going to try to fake it till she makes it. She's trying to get her old life back. Um she thinks that joining this cape team and trying to be a hero again is going to give her that. And I just don't think it's that simple. No. And, and worse, worse, Matt, she's put, she's putting everything into the misfit toy. She's putting everything into this team and, and she's still, and the, the, the sadness, the melancholy is still creeping in. What if this team fails this thing that she's put everything in as, as a way of, of, trying to push past her problems what if it fails yeah what then yeah i mean that might actually be good for her because it would cause her to reflect on on where she is and and maybe find You'd a different hope solution so, but yeah but I, I don't know yeah i don't know guess we'll see uh yeah so the hollow point team is fighting a pretty powerful duplicator and victoria snags damsel away from uh, from the fight before the ex-villain can do something she'll regret. Damsel crashes them to the ground and tells Victoria, I'm all out of patience. I'm ready to kill someone. <laughs> hey, that's not, that's not at all troubling. <laughs> well, you know. Um, it's, it's interesting because, like, yes, she seems really wound up. We have this moment, actually, where she screams to everyone, wretches. She howled the words, scum of the earth. You do not deserve this breath you draw, which is like vintage villain Ashley. It's so perfect. And yeah. and, and I don't I don't think the word wretches is an accident here, Matt. Uh-huh. Like that word has a very specific connotation and meaning to our main character. And I don't think it's an accident that that Wildbow chose to make Ashley say it. Yeah. Um, and we'll see in a bit, a bit and I maybe I'm jumping ahead. Victoria does manage to talk her down here. So that's positive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think Ashley is 
holding it together. She's just getting increasingly agitated. And if anything, the fact that she tells Victoria this is a good sign. Like rather than mm-hmm. just being like, get off me, let me go back to the fight. She's like, I, she's, she's, if anything, she's reporting her mental state, you know, she's sharing. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's fun to contrast how Victoria deals with Ashley here to how Victoria dealt with Ashley throwing a temper tantrum after their scrimmage. Um, because in that case she did not handle it well. And I think it shows that Victoria has learned more about Ashley in the intervening time and knows how to deal with her a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. She's done things like she's complimenting Damsel on, on successfully nettling Bob and <laughs> yeah. she's, she's, she's doing good. Yeah. And I think yeah. Damsel responds somewhat well to it. Yeah. I do wish, I do wish Kenzie could swoop in and like put an iPod speaker to her ear to calm her friend down. That would make me feel a little bit better, but it seems to work in the short term at least. Yeah. So Bob ends up smashing the two fallen capes with motorcycles. Um, So unless they were durable and we didn't hear about it, I think they're probably not going to get up. Yeah. Uh, Is this the first like confirmed death we've seen in this fight so far? Well, see, Victoria doesn't react to it as if someone was just killed in front of her eyes. So I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's even what happened, but um, that's the thing is like, we've seen people get stabbed and like cut horribly, like th- those kinds of wounds, you can bleed out pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, that's true. so it's possible that those bikers are dead. Like I- I'm not sure what level of lethality we've actually observed up to this point. It is it is so very interesting to contrast this with Worm, though, where the first time someone died was like this watershed moment yeah. where things had changed. And this world is so different. Like, that's just death. Death happens and it's tragic, but the deaths that are probably happening here aren't as big of a deal. Yeah, well, and also Victoria is a character who's experienced a lot more cape stuff. And at, at that point, Taylor had experienced almost none. So, um you were watching her development and and for Victoria, it's probably super bummer to see someone killed, but you get the sense she could probably process it a little bit more quickly. I don't know. We'll see. We will. So Victoria tries to talk to Bob and has him and damsel. I mean, not damsel, um, nail biter, try to kill him, try to kill her in response. (laughs) The hollow point capes take pot shots at Sveta and Capricorn as they attempt to flee and then dark introspection saves the day. Yay! It's feather conk bird man guy. I I really want to be inside the mind of like a hollow point cape who has been just forced to deal with like these fucking random creatures showing up to yeah. every fight that we have no idea where they're coming from or what they're doing or if they're even connected at all. Yeah. And there's just these random looking things showing up and just like, hey. I'm going to screw up your day and then I'm going to go away. Yeah. Um, super, super, <laughs> super weird looking things. Yeah. You've got, yeah. you've got to assume they're related just due to how disturbing they look. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So then uh, he saves up. Uh, he, he kind of like his form is actually quite durable. So he kind of like blocks their attacks. Yeah. And then another group of fallen capes arrives on the scene. One of them stands out all in white, a mask with no eyes, a feminine theme, and a cane, Villefort. God, Matt, why didn't everyone on this team bring earplugs? God, they're so poorly written, Matt. 
So poorly written. Yes. Why don't you bring earplugs? Right. Duh. That's, that's right, Scott. That's that's what this is. Yeah, exactly. All right. Wrap that that wraps up uh those chapters. And now we're gonna slide into some name game. Um I think I don't remember if we talked about Veil Four specifically ever, but um I don't think we did because I think the last time we saw him was before we were doing name game. Yeah. So yeah, but he he's Veil the name Veil Four comes from uh, I guess it's a, a, a grimoire, which is a spell book, and he is—he's yeah. allegedly um, a duke of hell in the lesser key of Solomon, um, and I believe his form was described as being like a lion with the head of a donkey, which is one of the least scary things I can think of. <laughs> um, but I guess people weren't so creative back in the day. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's Veil Four. Yeah, I mean, I think it just relates to demonology and and religion. I mean, this is like Veil Four is one of the ones, along with like like Ball, that is used in pop culture a lot. That are like fun demon names that we use, and like Diablo and yeah. and and a lot of other games and stories. Um, yeah, yeah, and it just emphasizes that the Fallen use these these demon names for right. for themselves. Ironically, not Mama though. She's, mm-hmm. she's just mama. That is true. She's just mama. Yeah. She doesn't need a demon name. Yeah. Mama is the demon name. She's way scarier somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So discussion questions for next week. I really like this one. Now that we have a pretty good idea about what Victoria wants, what does she need? Yeah. And I, I think we could pretend like we were setting this up the whole time, Matt. And we didn't just think of this two hours ago and we were always going to ask this question. Um, but I, I, when you're answering this question, what I want people to pay attention to, and I think the reason why we decided to go with this is a lot of the conflict in stories, a lot of the conflict uh, that characters have is this natural conflict between what they want and what they need. And I think it's so when you're thinking about what does Victoria need, I I want you guys to also be thinking about how does this come in conflict with the thing she wants or does it? It it might not. Our our needs and our wants and our characters don't always conflict. Um, But I just want you to be thinking about it in that kind of perspective. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I think we've talked about that before and and it's a great lens to analyze characters under. Um, Yeah. Can't wait to hear what you guys say. Yeah. And that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. Remember that you guys are all a part of the show now, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, and Matt's is at creepyconkbirdman. More dinner mail. That's right. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. As always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at dailyplanetfilms.com. This week, over on our main feed, uh, we were all together for the first time ever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were we were at Matt's younger brother's wedding. Daniel, who has been a podcast guest before, we were all together, so uh, four of us sat down on Sunday and just recorded a podcast in the same room where we just talked about some random stuff for like 40 minutes. It's a short episode with, with terrible audio quality. Um, but, uh, it was fun. It was fun to do. It was good seeing you, Matt. Yeah. It was, it was great seeing you after half my life. 
<laughs> um, yeah. Also, uh, this Friday, another episode of Vow to View is coming out over on that feed. Uh, Elise and I are going to wrap up our uh, our Women's History Month spectacular by talking about some of our favorite women in TV. So check that out on Friday, and you can find that also at DailyPlanetFilms.com. Sounds great. Uh, and if you like any of these shows and want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash dailyplanetfilms. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Special thanks to New Planeteers, Flavored Owl, yum, at the $1 level, and Helen at the $1 level, and to New Kryptonian Aaron G, who upgraded his pledge to $20 per month. Thanks so much. We really appreciate that. Yeah, it's thank you guys so much. Yeah. I, I, the fact that we get new people to read for this every week, like there's never been a week since we started that we don't have new names to read, continues to amaze me. You guys are awesome. Yeah, it's it's so humbling, awesome. honestly. And as always, make sure you go over to Wildblow's Patreon and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. You know, it occurred to me that we've never actually said the address for that. Um, it's it's patreon.com slash wildbow. We should probably say that when we say go over to his Patreon. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could probably Google it, but we should we should at least try yeah, to help. Make it just a little bit easier. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and if you can't afford to donate right now, that's okay. You can instead help us out by heading on over to iTunes and leaving us a rating and a review. You can be like Vitor from Brazil, who gives us five stars and says, hi. Love the show. It's awesome for new readers and old ones. At the same time you guys started the podcast, my friend Tito did the same, actually a few weeks before, uh, showing me Worm and being my guide through this wonderful world of parahumans. The difference is that we don't have a podcast, only kilometers of Facebook chat at 3 (laughs) a.m. to talk about Worm. Uh, Love you guys. Thanks for being the best guides for the readers to come. Uh, Thank you so much, Vitor. That was so nice of you. I think it's cool that other people, you don't think about it, that like... When we started, a bunch of other people probably started about the same time. And and I love that uh, that people can chat about this book just amongst themselves. Like, yeah. I love the idea of 3 a.m. Facebook chat. Just I need I need to talk about this with someone. So I, I'm going to do it at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. No, I, and, and I love that as being a universal of like people who love stories. We love to share them. We love to say, OK, what, what yeah. part are you on now? How far are you? Oh, yeah, that's great. Oh, you can't. Yeah. Uh, what, what comes next, though? That's going to be. Oh, I can't say anything more, though. Um, yeah yeah I, I love it I love I love like it, it's not unique to this community but it's I've this one of the strongest things I've seen in this community is this like this excitement over new people reading the story and this like like I see so many posts about like guys I got my mom to read this or I got my friend to read this and it's like what part are they at? yeah tell, tell me tell me how they react when they get to this it's like it's so excited and passionate and like like this community doesn't is not gatekeeping it it, the gate is wide open and they want as many people inside it as possible (laughs) and i think that's wonderful well said yeah all right that's it for the show this week next week uh more arc five shadow honestly we're done speculating at this point because we've both been wrong so many times uh shadow arc five part five next week sure bye (laughs) 